Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We have a great guest today. We have John Sills, the author of The Human Experience, and we're going to be talking about his new book, and the three myths of customer experience. Definitely want to tune in for that. I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to our sponsor, Text Expander, and we'll talk more about them at the break. And before we get into the show, a couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing story that you'd like to share with me, please reach out to me on any of the social media channels. If you've got a question, do the same. Make sure you use the hashtag AskShep. I'll be sure to answer the question either in whatever channel you're communicating with me on, on this show, uh, in my newsletter, or perhaps on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. And you can catch episodes at beamazing.tv. It's also available on Amazon Prime, Roku, uh, Apple TV, and other streaming platforms. All right, everybody, let's get into the interview. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Chad, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited. I received uh, a copy of your book, The Human Experience, and it, the subtitle, How to Make Life Better for Your Customers and Create a More Successful Organization. So right away, I'm very intrigued with the title, The Human Experience, because there's a big question today about human versus digital or analog, whatever you want to call it. Uh, AI is coming in. Chat GPT is big. Let's talk a little bit about your your you know take on all of this, and let's get into the book. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, after I wrote the subtitle, I thought that's probably pitching quite high to write a book that says make life better for all your customers. But I guess the I guess the story started about four years ago. I was on a train uh, on holiday with my family, my wife and my young son, and we were on this old steam train going through the English countryside, and it had you know lovely big leather seats and a nice oak table and lady coming down handing out homemade food and my son said to me um daddy is this what it's like when you get the train into work every day and I kind of laughed and said no it <laughs> emphatically isn't and I thought well that's interesting that surely the sign of progress is is you make things more efficient you keep the quality and it started to dawn on me that maybe over the last 20 years with all the wonderful technological advancement we've had maybe we've been an organization that's been busy improving the functional experience doing more things in more ways more quickly more cheaply than ever before but in doing that have we lost that emotional human experience and therefore the organizations now kind of full of humans that aren't allowed to act in a human way so yeah that's the that's the premise of the book that's where it that's where it came from originally well i love that because it's it's uh i don't believe that we could get away with 100 percent sent completely digital automated type of service it's it's impossible but i like your line you know make things more efficient but don't lose the quality and the quality is not just in the products it's in the experience 
And the, the, there's a balance between digital and human and the companies that figure it out, they get it right. Um, just found out recently that I think Apple now says you don't need to bring your phone in if you, if it's, you think it's a software issue, because a lot of times they could fix it. If you go in the store and you talk to the geniuses, now they allow you to go digital, go online, download what you need. And I think you could actually talk to somebody if you had to talk to somebody once again, the transition from efficiency to the quality of the human experience. Uh, so love the book. By the way, uh, tell us in like one or two sentences, your company and what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm managing partner at the foundation. We're an independent consultancy based in London, work around the world. Are you, uh, we you're work kidding on... me? You're based in London? I, I thought it was a Texan accent I was listening to. <laughs> this this is strong Essex, yeah. Strong just Essex, for fun, I, just say yeah, howdy, yeah. partner. Howdy, partner. I do that. <laughs> howdy, partner. I need the hat on as well if you can see me. But uh, yeah, we we broadly we exist to help companies become more customer led. So we go for twenty three years, work with the companies of all shapes and sizes. But sometimes it's experience, sometimes strategy, sometimes innovation. But we've just got this belief that. The world's a better place when organizations are making things better for customers. So that's that's what we do and how we spend our time. All right. I think that that's a great line. Uh, the world's a better place when we create what we what, what, say it again. When, when organizations are trying to make things better for customers. Yeah. Boom. Right there. That's it. We need to tweet that out. Uh, all right. Your book, The Human Experience, How to Make Life Better for Your Customers and Create a More Successful Organization. Available now at Amazon. Just came out. Brand new. I'm really intrigued. In the first part of the book, you talk about three myths. And uh, I would love to go through those three if that's okay. We're not giving away too much of the book, are we? No, no, that's completely fine. Completely Good. fine. So number one myth is? Yeah, that's right. So we've got these three myths. The myth of customer feedback, myth of loyalty, and then the myth of ROI. And the myth of feedback is probably the one that most people uh, can connect with straight away. It's essentially this kind of epidemic of feedback requests that we're all living in at the moment you can't have any kind of experience without being asked would you recommend it what do you think you you know what did you tell your friends and families survey fatigue you know but but the problem with it is the reason it's a myth is because there's never been more data than ever coming into organizations you know there's so much customer data coming in whether that's surveys or just the data they've got but at the moment organizations are further away from customers than i think ever have been and that's because these surveys kind of convince leaders that they're close to what matters to customers but what they're actually close to is customers opinions of their business and and in the books i talk about this thing called the thick end of the wedge and if you imagine the customer's life being like this wedge shape and at one end you've got you know it's them and their life and what matters to them and their family their hopes their dreams and ambitions the challenges the things that get in the way and then at the very end of that wedge is your role your role in their life 99% of all of that customer feedback is at the thin end of the wedge. And what leaders really need to do is reconnect with customers in the thick end of the wedge and what matters in their life. Because that's how you become useful to customers. And that's dangerous because otherwise leaders think they're close, but they're really not. You know, the whole thing about surveys, and I'm trying to find my my data from this year's research that we did. uh, Number one, a lot of people have survey fatigue because you're getting inundated with surveys and questionnaires and would you please leave us a review uh, on Yelp or TripAdvisor or whatever the the platform is. And and I personally think we're to, uh, companies do a couple of things wrong. You tell me what your thoughts are. I know we're going to kind of go down the path of surveys and then we'll go into myth two and myth three. 
which I think the one, by the way, that that did it for me, you said customer feedback is the one that gets the most attention. I was more intrigued with customer loyalties myth uh, of the three myths when I was reading the book. Anyway, uh, the survey, number one, companies have a lot of people, a lot of customers, yet they send the same survey to every customer. And I think if you're trying to figure out if you're doing a good job, if you are worried about doing a good job for one customer, send the survey. But if you've got 10,000 customers, once you get about a thousand responses, you can change up the question and get more information about how you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly right. And I think, you know, I think to be clear as well, I think the, 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 you're right, the myth of loyalty is the one that gets the most debate. The myth of feedback is the one most people agree with. We did it. We actually did our own survey, ironically, on this, and nearly 80% of people said they were fed up of getting surveys and this is people that volunteered to take the survey but funnily enough Chef, I've literally just come off uh, a presentation to an organization where we were talking about exactly this and they send out thousands hundreds of thousands of feedback surveys every single year to all of their customers and they're just getting the same information coming back but at the same time they send emails from a do not reply email address so they stop their customers replying to their emails and I, I literally that's just, a good point like, yeah, I just said to them now, save save your money on the NPS surveys, let people reply to your emails, move the money and the time and the resource over there, and you'll get so much more feedback from that than you will from all these repeating surveys, as you're saying. So not just a reply email, but what if, if, if that may be impossible, depending upon the type of program you're using for surveying your, your customers, mm. it could be SurveyMonkey, which is now a new company, Qualtrics, whatever it is. Yeah. What about a link that says, please email us if you have more comments? Will that work? Yeah, exactly. I think it does. So Riverford, one of the companies I study uh, in the book, who are the UK vegetable box producer, mm-hmm. they, they only they only get in touch with you kind of once a year. And they ask you very specific questions about things that they don't already know about. And then they come back to you a few weeks later and they tell you what they've done with the feedback. It's so it's so simple. And similarly, CityMap would just have a button that's just like, let us know if there's anything you think's wrong. Just let us know. No kind of other structure around it, but just that kind of pure natural feedback. So once you get it in, you can use various programs to pull out the keywords still. But I think it does. I think it it, it stops people forcing in a box and stops you getting pointless surveys as well about questions that aren't really going to have the impact or give you information that's going to help you make things better for customers. So here's some uh, survey facts and stats. We interviewed this year. We interviewed over a thousand consumers in the U.S. And granted, it's a U.S. survey. I think some of these numbers still apply. I was surprised at the number of people that said they always complete customer satisfaction surveys. Take a guess to what you think that number is. I mean, if we'd be surprised, I'd say I would have thought it'd be quite low, maybe 30 percent, 20 percent. It's 44 percent. Um, I I don't think that I I just I'm surprised. I'd like to I'm going to do this question again next year and see if we get a similar response. Uh, this is, uh, 21% say they never complete and 66% say that when a customer continues to send the same exact survey, they stop filling it out. I don't think that should even be an issue. The company needs to stop sending the same survey. I, I do business with a company and I use their product about twice a week. Every single time I use it, I get a survey every single time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think this is this is the problem, and at its heart, you know, there's two big issues here. One is that it's making the experience 
worse for customers. I mean, I was had a complaint, ongoing complaint the other week, and they kept sending me surveys after every phone call about how satisfied I was, even though I was in the middle of the complaint. So right, right, you're in the middle of it all. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so there's one thing, but it's also like I say, really the reason I think it's a bit of a myth is it's really bad for organizations because again, it, it just convinces leaders they're close. They've got all this data coming in, but the data isn't actually useful and it's replacing what could be really useful connection with customers to really go and spend time with them. So it's a problem for, for both. And it's this fallacy that's affecting both customer and, and organization. Well, here's our amazing stat from the report, which by the way, uh, by the time we're listening, this should be out the 2023 report uh 20% of customers stopped doing business with a company that kept sending too many customer satisfaction surveys and 18% stopped because the surveys were too long yeah well that's brilliant yeah that's brilliant that that drives me crazy anyway hey let's take a short break when we come back I want to get into myths two and three which are customer loyalty and ROI. We can't wait to talk about that. We are talking with John Sills, the author of The Human Experience. The book is available at Amazon. Uh, It's pretty much available worldwide. I urge you to get it. I think you'll enjoy it. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Let's talk about Text Expander, a tool that allows your team to eliminate repetitive typing with just a few keystrokes. Anything you type over and over, such as customer responses, will be at your team's fingertips so they have the power to do what they do best, just faster. Quickly reply to emails and chats from a library of responses that you create, completing answers to common questions and issues. Your entire team stays on the same page with the same common responses that can be personalized on the fly. And... It's simple to use. Type commonly used content into a text expander snippet and give it an abbreviation of just a few letters and symbols. Share the snippet with the team. When you type the abbreviation, it triggers the snippet and the content expands anywhere you type, including email, chat, or social media. It's that easy. Just go to www.textexpander.com to learn more about this amazing and productive tool. Sign up for a year and get 20% off. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with John Sills, author of The Human Experience. Uh, we've already covered myth one, which is customer feedback. Let's do myths two and three. I'm sure we'll get both of them in before we're finished today. Myth two is? Yeah, myth two is myth of customer loyalty. And this is the uh, the most controversial one, I think, based on the volume of emails I've had oh, of people okay. kind of telling me, yeah, that they they agree or disagree. Yeah, I think I think this is really interesting because it's organisations want to believe that customers are loyal. You know, it's quite an inside out view. Um, but I think really, when you look at it, it's about usefulness, not loyalty. My example of this was with my local taxi company or cab cab firm, I guess. Right. Uh, you know, I, I had a you know I had a local taxi firm that I used, and they had you know loads of cars, and they were pretty cheap, but you could only pay by cash. And you, you never yeah, in the book, you mentioned if you want to pay by card, you have to call ahead of time. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah that's really convenient, real isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is it. And this was going back a few years. And then Uber turned up. And of course, Uber's instantly more useful. So I just dropped it and went for Uber. But then a year later, my taxi firm released their own app. So then I could have all the benefits of Uber and like a pay by card and pre-book. And it was a local firm. So I switched back again. And I think the lesson that I learned is about, you know, as a company, as an organization, you have to stay useful. If a more useful alternative comes along, people are going to leave. And even if you think that you're loyal to a company, 
Well, if that company tripled their prices or the quality reduced by half, you probably stop going there because you're only really loyal to friends or family or sports teams. You're actually only loyal to companies as long as they stay useful. And the reason this is a problem, because some of it's an argument about semantics, but the reason it's a problem is if leaders in organizations believe that customers are loyal, they stop trying. They start taking them for granted. They focus on onboarding and bringing customers on and acquiring customers, and then they stop trying to keep them. Whereas the truth is, you've got to keep earning customer decisions all the time. You've got to keep staying useful to customers, stay ahead of the competition. That's why I think it's a really dangerous myth, even if there is a a, a, debate around it. So are you using the word useful to describe convenience or because that's what it sounds like. I mean, we've done our research on convenience and useful sounds it's like you're almost swapping those words. Not not necessarily. I think I think there's more to it than just convenience. So it may well be useful that it's an easy product to use. It might be that it's the right product for you. It might be that it's a good price, but it could also be social status. You might align with a certain brand because it kind of helps to represent who you are. So people that are queuing up outside an Apple store to buy the new iPhone, well, that's because they want to be known. You know, the, the Apple, you know, the iPhones aren't as much so much better as they used to be, but they're people that want to be known as being an early adopter, as a person that has the newest iPhone. So it's helping to represent their status. Now, as soon as Apple stops being cool or gets caught up in a huge scandal and it loses that social status, then it stops being useful to customers in a social way as well. So there's a number of elements, a number of ways right. brands. Now can I be buy useful. into that comment. That's useful. The but but your taxicab story about how Uber comes along, I think Uber disrupted the original taxicab company because they were more convenient, easier That's to true. use. Easier to use. And then you decided once the company caught up with their app. Uh, which is great. I, I think that's that's wonderful. I always, um, t- and the other comment you made, which is so spot on, and uh, I hope we, I, I make a note to include this in the show notes, is that you said that when companies start to think they have loyal customers, they stop doing the things that help make those customers appear to be loyal because they aren't yeah. necessarily loyal. And what is loyalty? Uh, you know, you mentioned you're loyal to a sports team. <laughs> that yeah. Depends how well they're doing. No, just kidding. <laughs> but your family and that type of thing. But you can be loyal to a company. Um, I don't think you're always going to have some level of price sensitivity. If the price goes up three times, you're probably going to say, well, it's probably not worth it, even though they're wonderful. But if they're a little bit higher, maybe it's five, 10 percent, depending on what it is. And they give you this incredible level of service. Uh, and there's lots of surveys out there that are saying within industries, customers are willing to spend a little more money to guarantee they're going to get the right service. They'll even pay more for service contracts to ensure they get right in. It's quick. It's, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. uh, all right. Love it. Love it. Love it. Myth number three. Yeah. Number three, ROI. return on investment. Yeah. The myth of ROI. And this is probably the thing our clients ask us about the most. How do we prove the ROI of customer experience to other people in the organization? And I think quite simply, my my answer is, well, actually, bad customer experience is really expensive to provide. Uh, You know, I used to work at uh, one of the big banks for for 12 years. I was head of global customer experience there. And nearly all of the business cases I put in were on cost of inaction rather than you're going to make money from this because of the the high level of failure demand. We worked with one client and we found that 30% of all the calls coming into their 
contact centre were repeat phone calls from people that weren't entirely happy from the answer they'd been given the first time because they'd been rushed off the phone because they were trying to hit an average call waiting time. So I think once you get this view that actually good customer experience generally is more efficient and therefore is actually cheaper to provide, it changes your mindset. It's less about proving that good customer experience is going to make you money, even though I believe it will do that in the long term. But in the short term, if you stop multiple letters, if you make it easier for people to contact you, if you stop forcing people off the phone quickly and you give them time to explain the problem and then you can resolve it the first time, you'll stop repeat calls and you'll stop, you know, reopen complaints. And it's just more efficient overall. Plus, your customers are a lot happier. They're going to stay with you and they're probably going to recommend you for real as well. So it's just turning on its head a bit from the traditional business case. So there's two levels of efficiency. Some would say efficient is the maximum number of calls in an hour. And there's another uh, camp that says efficiency is get it right the first time, regardless how long it takes. So there's not a second and a third call. And to your point, it really becomes, um, I think, and I, I write about this the last couple of years in my trends, we're seeing it more and more that that companies are willing to invest more into the customer support experience because support actually leads done right to repeat business retention. Uh, and ultimately, if you can get the customer to trust you, if the rep is properly trained, they can ethically upsell or cross sell other products the customer wants. And now it truly becomes a profit center and an extension of the sales force. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. You know, I've got quite a long story that I won't tell now, but during you know, the last few weeks, I had a complaint about a bow tie that I bought. It was meant to be delivered the next day and it wasn't. So I phoned up and I was told there was, you know, unexpectedly high call volumes. And I ended up being on the phone for an hour and 10 minutes trying to get a refund of £7 for the, the next day delivery charge that I paid. And I was told that, you know, we can only give you £5 as a gift voucher. We can only give you £7 as a gift voucher. After an hour and 10 minutes, they agreed £10 refund plus my compensation time. And you think, well, it's no wonder you've got unexpectedly high call volumes. If it's taken an hour and 10 minutes to agree to refund me £7 for next day delivery when the item hasn't arrived, then they failed. It should be an automatic, as soon as they know it hasn't turned up, automatically do the refund. Great customer experience. I'm really happy. Instead, awful customer experience, but it's so expensive for the organization. Yeah, just the other day, I was working with somebody in the floral uh, online, you know, purchasing of flowers. And he said that 25% of every of all the orders they have, there is some level of additional customer service. Much of it, however, is proactive because they're tracking, It's you know, flowers. It's very emotional. I'm buying flowers because somebody passed away. It's a happy occasion, like a wedding. I'm trying to make up with my wife or my partner, my spouse, my husband, whatever. Uh, there's lots of reasons. And uh, if those flowers don't show up on time, and so a lot of times they have systems in place to track so that they see there's a problem, they can proactively reach out to the customer, discuss what arrangements. And you know what? The customers are happy about that. At least they know, right? So yeah. knowing is part yeah. of it all. Wow. I, I can sit here and talk for hours. We're basically out of time. I always like to ask the one thing question. So we've talked about the three myths, which are the surveys and and, and uh, customer loyalty and ROI. Um, boy, I wanted to talk to you about how you, well, we'll have to have you back. Okay. Uh, but one nugget from the book uh, that we haven't talked about, share with us uh, something that, oh my gosh, I, I now have to buy that book. What would that nugget be? 
just, you know, it's a, it's a, obviously, I think there's loads of nuggets in there, but I think my favourite story from the book, maybe I'll just tell you that, because in the book I look at the myths and then I look at the behaviours that I think make up a human experience and then I look up, look at the cultural enablers, the ways of working. And of all of the companies I looked at, the one that they all shared the most was ambition, like a real relentless, ruthless ambition to be great at customer experience. And I tell the story of just before COVID, I was in Switzerland doing a, a project, actually. I was with a group of customers seeing what their experience was like on this rail holiday, a group of about 30 octogenarians. And we were going through the Swiss countryside and the train broke down. And that's quite rare for Swiss rail, you know, famously uh, efficient. And I was just about to, you know, be ready to start writing my story of everything that went wrong. And the train guard came down and he sat down and he said, look, I know you're a big group. So, you know, we're going to be about 15 minutes late into Zurich. You're going to miss your connection, but don't worry. I'll come back and I'll tell you everything you need to know when you get there. So he goes off. Two minutes later, we get a phone call from the head of operations at Swiss Rail. Hey, uh, I've heard what's happened. I know you're a big group. Give me a call if you need anything, but the train manager will look after you. We start moving again. Train manager comes down. He said, right, we're going to be in about 15 minutes late. You are going to miss your connection. But don't worry, your next train, it goes on platform 14. It's a complicated station. I'll have someone there to meet you. And true to his word, we pull into Zurich station. We open the door. He's got a member of staff already there on the platform. They walk all 30 of us around Zurich station over to the other side to platform 14. They've already reserved us a carriage on the new train because we have one reserved on the old train. And as we got on, they gave us tea and coffee vouchers for the inconvenience. And we ended up getting into our destination about 20 minutes late. Now, I think it's a bit different in the US yet, but in the UK, if my train gets in 20 minutes late, I'm delighted. I'm high-fiving. I can't believe <laughs> that we've only made it 20 minutes late. And the thing that, that really struck out, that really struck was they just had this unbelievable ambition. They'd made a promise to get us to the outcome. They were so apologetic they hadn't managed it, and they were going to do everything they could to make it better. Brilliant experience from something It is. That could it's have a been perfect really experience. Difficult. There was a, an apology. There was some ownership. Uh, you know, they told you what they were going to do to get it right. Nobody said, not my fault that the planes or plane, if the train is not on time, but it is our opportunity and our responsibility to get you there. And uh, everything was done just, and they brilliantly did it within a really finite period of time. It had to be done quickly. So urgency is important there. So great story. Uh, by the way, great book. Again, The Human Experience by John Sills, available everywhere, especially on Amazon. John, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much. I really, really appreciate it. really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me as well. Well, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We will be back next week with another amazing interview. And until that time, this is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>